The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings Podcast. I'm Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to create a successful sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. More blood, more gore, carnage candy. And number three, never, ever, under any circumstances, Assume the podcast is dead. That, that feels appropriate considering how close I think the two of us have been to death in various ways. Oh my god, what a couple of weeks, Nathaniel. I know we've, we've been saying that a lot, it feels like, on the podcast, but life has just kind of been a little bitch lately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it definitely has. Just, you know, weeks of illness in my household. Yeah, we what we we've rescheduled this recording like three times largely because i'm either you know dealing with sick kids or just had no voice myself um or i don't know life life comes at us hard when it likes to come at us yeah we we've been dealing with some rsv um i started a new job so that's been very time consuming and exhausting so it's been nice to kind of slow down a little bit there but uh, again, we, we apologize. Thanks, everyone, for really, like, leaning into our show. We've actually had quite substantial downloads, if I'm not mistaken, Nathaniel. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, no, we've we've been going strong. I would say uh, the month of January was probably our second best month of all time. Uh, and this month is looking really good, too. We've been maintaining really steady downloads in, in ways that we haven't seen up until this point, really. So thank you for everyone that's listening. We love you. We're we're glad that you're listening to the show. We have a lot of great stuff coming up uh, in terms of guests and uh, some really cool content that we'll be diving into moving forward. If you know, as long as we don't just I don't know collapse a lung or something in the meantime. Let's talk about some movies. If you haven't put it together, we're talking about the rest of the Scream franchise. Well, at least everything except for the TV shows, we'll have to, I guess, revisit that soon. But we figured, you know, three Scream films was probably more than enough to fill an episode. Yeah, we're gonna really have to keep on pace here, Nathaniel. It's a lot to cover. Alright, so let's kind of do a recap. We just saw the Legacy sequel, which is honestly my new favorite term to use talking about movies like this. Mm -hmm. Did talk about the Scream Legacy sequel and just how bloody brilliant it really was. Um, And the just masterpiece that the first Scream movie is. And so, of course, we wanted to not delay any further, and we are now bringing to everybody the kind of the rest of the movie. So let's dive into Scream 2. Sydney, remember me? What do you want? 
It's time, girlfriend. Don't you know history repeats itself? Okay, so Scream 2 is, I think, one of the better films in the series. It's, you know, it's, obviously it's not my very favorite. I, I would say currently it's my number three. Um, but I, I really like it. I, I think it's a really solid film, and I, I felt like it did a good job of approaching the idea of a horror, especially a slasher sequel, in a really fun, clever way, you know, particularly with all of the scenes involving Randy and his film classes and, and all of the discussions about, you know, what makes a sequel good. Yeah, uh, Scream 2, it's one of those movies that it, it, we talk a lot on the show about sequelitis, where you get horror movie sequels that really just don't do the authentic show justice. It can be very tricky sometimes to really capture kind of that essence that the first movie blesses us with. Blesses is a, a potent word, but I'm going to use it. Uh, and so Scream 2 does a banging job of like delivering what a sequel is. And again, I think this is in part because of what the Scream franchise does in it creates itself this meta universe where it can make fun of itself while maintaining a plot and while maintaining kind of a message, so to speak. And the message of Scream 2 is sequels. Well, and, and I think like the fact also that, you know, we, we're not just, you know, looking at sequels, but we're also the, the fact that we have the same kind of major creative players back that, that we have Wes Craven and also the original writer, um, Kevin Williamson, you know, delivering on this film as well as uh, three and four, um, really, I think, is, is why this whole series has been as strong as it has been. You know, obviously, there's, there's you know, stronger points and weaker points, but, like, I, I would say a lot of that consistency is uh, consistency in vision. You know, this is being made by the same people, and they knew, you know, kind of as soon as Scream was a hit, that they had to make a sequel, and and so it you know literally in the script asks the questions of okay so what makes a good sequel exactly and, and that again Scream is taking that concept and then producing a very well thought out story about it, uh, which is why in some regard we love Scream, uh, Scream three and Scream four, unfortunately kind of don't deliver this as well. Uh, but let's kind of get into a few more of the positives about Scream 2, Nathaniel. Yeah, um, so one thing I really like here is that our group dynamic uh, really has kind of evolved from the previous film. You know, I, I like that we have the same heroes again, which is also something that a lot of times doesn't happen in especially slasher sequels. But the fact that we have Sydney, that we have Dewey, that we have... You know, the the you know we have Randy, we have Gail, like we we the the gang is back together in a way that is um really fun to watch because they know what to expect. Yeah. But do they? And 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 like you know that they already have that rapport and and we don't get like a hard reset on you know the good that has kind of developed between them that that they have bonded over a shared traumatic experience really does you know, make us cheer for them more because it's not just a bunch of, you know, rando squabbling teenagers like, like we usually get. 
uh, in a sequel. Yeah, uh, that's a great way to put it. Uh, the gang coming back together, but they're not the same individuals. A lot of times in sequels, we'll see these, you know, quote unquote legacy characters. I don't know if they've quite reached legacy status in Scream 2. That's not a bad topic. Like, when does a character become a legacy, Nathaniel? When there's a gap in time. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Uh, anyway, but they they demonstrate through the filmography, filmography, cinematography, and just the dialogue that these characters have learned from the past. And that's very important, I think, in sequels, especially slashers. You know that one of my biggest problems are slashers who are invincible or immortal or have some sort of deified presence. And once again, this Scream movie doesn't kind of lean into that trope. The characters have learned, they're still learning, and they're still figuring it out in kind of the best way possible. Definitely. And, and I like that also, like, we, we don't just see them more competent this time around. Like, like that is part of it. But there is also trauma in, ingrained into their experience, as well as, like, you know, like, Dewey, like, literally, like, has a limp. And he doesn't have as much movement in, in one of his arms and stuff like that because of getting stabbed. Like, yeah. there are both, you know, emotional and physical scars that inform what happens in this film. And I think that is really important because it it makes you care about these characters more. You see Dewey's limp and you remember, oh my god, Dewey was, you know, almost killed in this movie. We have to you know, be careful. <laughs> he has to be careful. Uh it's really cool to feel that level of concern for a fictional character. And that physical representation, uh, for me, does a lot. Well, and, and another thing that's so great is also, like, our stakes get risen a lot um, in this film, particularly, you know, at the midpoint when Randy gets killed. Yeah, yeah, and that's an incredible moment, too. I think it's something that the, the newest Scream does well, is it takes a beloved character... And then <laughs> we have to deal with the fact that that character is no longer with us. And it it's kind of this twisted mind game mm -hmm. where the character dying serves as motivation for the story and for our protagonists. But we're sad about it. We, we're not happy about it. And that conflict mm -hmm. really generates good horror in my mind. Yeah, well, and, and what I like about this is that um, Randy doesn't just get fridged, right? Like, the and, and, and here, just, I guess, for, you know, it, anyone who may be unfamiliar with that term, um, so fridging is basically when, when a character is killed or, like, held ransom or whatever, just so a protagonist has a reason to care, right? Like, a lot of times... Um, this happens in a lot of comics where, you know, usually the uh, hero doesn't want to get involved in something and then a bad guy kills their girlfriend or spouse right. or whatever and suddenly now now they're involved. And, like, they were already in, involved in this situation with Randy already. You know, they were all part of this. You know, admittedly, Sydney was trying to avoid it a little bit, but... They were still there, they were involved, and it wasn't until he gets killed that I think we as an audience now see, oh, nobody's safe. Well, and it's also important, I think, too, to remember that 
Randy, excuse me, Randy plays a very prominent role in kind of the plot generation of mm -hmm. Scream 2. He's the one, you know, the, the silly little intro that I just read, that's an iconic horror line that comes from Randy in this moment of, you know, trying to break down, there's this new killer on campus, what's going on? Uh, and it's Randy who gives us that information. Uh, and it's, again, it's we're caring about this character, but then we have him stripped away, and that is troubling to kind of process through. Another way that I, I like uh, what this film does is really just some of the set pieces are, are just really cool. Yeah, the, the end scene, like the little theater, uh, you know, whether you hate it or you love that scene, it's a very fun idea to kind of have the, the penultimate moment in this, like, college theater with this very Greco-Roman play going on. Uh, it's just, it was cool. Maybe I'm just a nerd like that, but I really loved that kind of moment, you know? Oh, no, it, it, it was super cool, and it looked phenomenal. And it just made the tension and the, I don't know, like the the spectacle of the, of the film and those final kills just that much more engaging. Like because yeah, we've seen it go down in a house. Now we get to see it go down on a stage with all sorts of crazy props and stuff. Like it it just again it it raises the stakes and it, it's fun. Probably my favorite moment, the part that really sticks out to me, is in the first film, Cindy Prescott is dealing with this internal struggle of believing her boyfriend is the killer. We don't know, we're not sure, she thinks he is, then he's not, but then he actually really is, and there's this very kind of traumatic undertone to Sydney of she doesn't really know what to believe anymore. Now, we fast-forward to Scream 2, and this thing comes up again, but then they twist it on their head. They do make us believe that her new boyfriend, this college, you know, beefcake, is the killer, and he has a lot of, like, sketchy tendencies and kind of a weird personality, and it's very pushing us in one direction. And then, again, in that penultimate scene... It's not him, and even Sydney thinks it's him to the point where she lets him die because she thinks he's the killer. And it kind of takes your breath away because you're like, wait, no, it, we're not supposed to believe he's the killer, but he's not the killer, but he really isn't the killer. It, it's just, they do it so well. It's so fun. It is so fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's how you use a red herring well, and then, like, ugh, it's just such a gut punch when, like, you see it in her eyes that she that you know she can't trust him enough to untie, or to untie him you know she can't take that risk and that's why he dies right in front yeah. of her so it is kind of her fault i mean it's the fault of the person who stabs him ultimately but she right. you know has something that that she's going to be blaming herself for and like that is such a you know twisted way to uh hurt your character way more than uh killing them you well, know that, that that's something that comes up a lot uh, you know, in, in writing groups and stuff like that is, you know, there's way worse things that you could do to your character besides just murder them. And this is a good example of that. Yeah, and it, it's... It helps the motivation 
Uh, one of my biggest complaints about this movie is the motivation of the killers seems very contrived. Uh, I don't like revenge slashers. They just are kind of silly to me. And so this kind of twisted manipulation here goes a long way to make the villains a little bit more insidious. Mm -hmm. It gives them a little bit more kind of fear factor, so to speak. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very good at what they do, even though, unfortunately, the, the kind of final reveal was a little uh, flat. A little? <laughs> I'll say a little. <laughs> I I was very disappointed by this reveal, and I think because it is the sequel, and the first film just delivered so well this double killer reveal, I was kind of expecting another double killer, which we got. Mm -hmm. However, the whole mother idea complex thing just... I don't know, Nathaniel. It, I just didn't vibe with it at all. It was not the vibe. Now, I, I will definitely agree that, like... Of the villains, yeah, th this is one of the weaker batch. Well, okay, well, well, we'll get into that more with the other films. But, yeah, like, it being the mom, eh, and just the random, you know, uh, college kid that she, you know, manipulates into working with her, and he's just a sociopath or psychopath. Well, yeah, I guess a psychopath. Just, I don't know. It, yeah, it, it's kind of weak. The reveals aren't that, like, <gasps> because we didn't really know those characters super well, and so it wasn't that big of a twist. Right. And that main killer, the, like, colleague or co-student, what is the word? I don't even know. Classmate? Uh, he kind of vanishes for a good two-thirds of the movie. He's a very prominent character in the beginning, but then after the big frat party, he just kind of dissolves, and we don't see much of him again until the reveal, which is silly. I, I think that's, that's, that is ultimately the wrong choice, especially with like a character um, or like an actor that is you know as dynamic as Timothy Olivant. And then only using him for a tiny sliver of the movie and then having him still be important at the end, really, I felt like was the wrong call. And I think that's that's a shame because, you know, considering how tight and interesting and, and fun the rest of the movie is, yeah, the, the final reveals really was, you know, the by far the weakest point and what otherwise is is a really really solid movie. a few other points that i didn't necessarily love as we've kind of discussed all of the screams are pretty sexist this one i think tones it down pretty well it's not as apparent in the first one or say the third one uh, but those still exist it's a product of its times but we need to recognize it and move forward and do better I still am not 100% on board with them being sexist, but okay. <laughs> you you have notes for number three, mister, about it being... Uh, no, no, ah. I, I, okay, okay, no, I find it interesting, but I don't... We'll get into it, we'll get into it. <laughs> okay. I do want to just share one fun piece of trivia about Scream 2. Just, I, I really love that because Scream was such a huge blockbuster success... Uh, there was a, a few leaked versions of the script that were out there that had different killers in the ending, just to throw people off the scent, and I love that. Oh, that's awesome. I did not know that. Yeah, I think there was like three different versions that were out there, and none of them were the real script. 
Oh, I love it when movies kind of troll you like that. Yeah. More of that. Um, well, should we move on to ratings so we can get into Scream 3? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Uh, for me, as far as uh, Screams go, I gave it a 3. It lacks something that the first one has quite substantially. I don't think it's as gory or as gritty. Mm-hmm. I gave it a 3. I don't know. The Screams, other than the first one, don't really scare me. I think that's fair. Except for maybe 5. But yeah, I, I would say I gave it a 4. There are a few kills that were kind of grody, but nothing too crazy. Yeah, considering that, like, literally the rules are more blood, more gore, carnage candy, <laughs> it was a little bit on the light side of, of d- giving us that carnage candy. Yeah, that's a very good point. Crowns-wise, I give this one a 7. I really love this movie. But, yeah, it's just, it's not the first one. Yeah, as far as Crowns go, I give it a 6. It's a very good sequel. It's a very good horror sequel. But, as we've discussed, it, it kind of drops the ball as the first one did. And to be fair, sequels are tricky things. Uh, they're very difficult to execute, if mm-hmm. not equal to the original. Yeah. It's just, it's just how it is. Speaking of weak uh, sequels, Ugh. let's talk about Scream 3. What do you know about trilogies? Well, all I know about movie trilogies is that in the third one, all bets are off. Hello, Sydney. Welcome to the final act. Oh, we're we're not spending a ton of time on this one because Screen Three is trash. I do not like this movie. See, I'm gonna fight you on that. I know. I, okay, trash is probably uh, a strong word, <laughs> but yes. it it just falls apart for me. Okay. Well. Well. So. So. Yes. Like. Right off the bat, this is definitely, yeah, by far the weakest film in the Scream series. Like, the kills are very tame, the gore is almost non-existent, um, so that, those are two problems. And, and like, admittedly, that was kind of a, a social, uh, socially conscious choice. You know, this comes from, you know, this being post-Columbine, and they wanted to kind of tone things down a little bit. I don't think that was, that was the right call. I think people do have the capacity to separate between, uh, you know, fantasy and real life in most cases, including the Columbine shooters. But it came from a good place, <laughs> even though I think it was the wrong call. I, I, I do want to be careful, though. I think we talked about this with Scream 5, is sometimes we let the nostalgia of the movies kind of impact how we should be critiquing these movies, Nathaniel. And I think... Sometimes you do this a little much with the Scream movies. So tell me why, tell me why you want to give this movie a bit of a break. So, so the break here is, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, a, a huge social moment in time that they were responding to. And so I'll, I'll give them that, that like, yeah, t- toning it down. At the end of the day, I think, you know, the, the key to what makes... Scream movies, Scream movies isn't necessarily the gore, but it tends to be the clever writing. And and a lot of that is present in this film. Uh, it's ex- still extremely meta. Um, in fact, maybe even more meta than some of the other films in the series in a lot of ways. But a lot of that kind of core DNA is still definitely present, and I still enjoy those elements of the film, even though, yeah, undeniably, this is the weakest film. 
in the series. I still like really enjoy watching it though. Fair. <laughs> you know, yeah, like like a lot of times if if a series has a bad sequel, I will have watched it watched it once and will never watch it again. I can watch Screen 3 whenever and I'm I'm down. Like obviously I'd be more down to watch the others, but still you know, someone's like, "Hey, let's start on Scream 3. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll sit and watch it again. You know, but you know, that's not the same with most other horror series. Most other horror series, one and done, uh, for most of, of especially the, the sequels. Right. Okay, I can allow that. <laughs> uh, f- for me, I, I think my biggest reason for not liking this movie is primarily that what you just kind of were talking about this idea that. They watered it down for social pressure issues, which I understand. Mm-hmm. I think being cognizant about that is important. However, I feel like the writing, it wasn't as tongue-in-cheek. It felt very kind of cheesy at times, which the Scream franchise is. It is cheesy, but it's also poignant and relevant and, and makes sense. And this movie just leaned into the camp a little bit too much for me. It made me not as afraid. Yeah, no, I, I think that that is perfectly fair. Um, because, yeah, it, it is by far the cheesiest in the series. Um, you know, particularly that it spends so much time... You know, we have the idea of, of the, you know, events that, of Screen 1 being turned into a movie in Scream 2. You know, that's our cold open. You know, with the Stab series. Uh, with this one, you know, this is already, you know, now putting us in Hollywood in the middle of that. That's, that's you know, layers of meta that are honestly, yeah, might be a, a step too far, honestly. I felt like sometimes there were some fun moments with that and some clever ideas. Like, for example, uh, the character Jennifer, um, Parker Posey's character, the one who is the actress playing Gail Weathers. Some of the stuff with her was actually, like, interesting and fun. but. Other than that, the the actors that were playing our main characters were kind of weak and uninteresting characters themselves, and it just felt like it was a bit too silly. Again, like there's some really great set pieces and some great ideas. Like I love the chase of Sydney through the sets that resemble her own house and her own town, and then you know she's. And then she opens a door and falls through a thing because it's, you know, not actually how it, it really corresponds or things like that. That was fun. But again, like, did we really have to have it set in Hollywood? Did it have to have particularly the weakest villain that is related to her? And, like, yeah, it gets very cliche. Yeah, I, I think one of the best things about Scream 3 is kind of, again, that metaverse of the kind of film set that's a cool and fun idea and a, an interesting way for Cindy prescott to kind of look at her reflection and face her fears without having to go back to her hometown um, i'm surprised more movies especially more franchised movies don't do something like this you know think about halloween or uh, even freddy krueger i think there's a lot of fun idea there to kind of replicate these stories and make the main characters the legacy characters face their fears again um hold on hold on nathaniel i cannot believe we have made it this far without talking about the most abysmal and horrific terrifying part of scream 3 
Oh, I was getting to it. <laughs> Gail Weathers' hair. Those bangs. Those bangs. So, you know, a lot of times we talk about how this one is the only one that has one villain. No, there's still two villains. <laughs> the other one is her hair. This hair, if you have not had any exposure to this haircut, everyone needs to just take a minute and Google search because it will blow your mind. <laughs> and Courtney Cox is bullied for it regularly to this day. And you know what? I know I don't endorse bullying people, especially for, you know, like a thing in a movie. But I get it. <laughs> oh, it's crazy, guys. It's crazy. Go check it out. It's amazing. <laughs> anyway, back to your regularly programmed uh, schedule program. I don't know what I'm going to say now. So, can I say another thing that I do like about this film? Of course. I really like the idea that, like, Sydney is so, so deeply, like, messed up after having experienced not just one, but now two massacres of friends and loved ones. Like, that's... That, I think, is one of the smartest ideas, is that Sydney spends most of the film nowhere near this situation. That she is far away, she hasn't, you know, like, can't be contacted easily, all of that. Great idea. But... But... (laughs) If... Part of how you are being haunted by people, both for both of those massacres, involves getting phone calls. <laughs> Why the actual hell would you work a job being a trauma counselor over the phone? <laughs> because it just doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, this was weird. I, I wonder if they were trying to, like do the thing where, you know, she's so traumatized that she has this great experience that will help her relate to these other trauma victims, which is fine, cool. It just feels very contrived. It feels very artificial. The Sydney Prescott that I know from the first movie is smarter than that. Yeah, well, and, and also, like, I guess just in terms of, like, even looking at Wes Craven's own career, so, you know, he made Nightmare on Elm Street, and then he was one of the big kind of, like, writers-slash-idea um, guys on the third film that kind of did the same thing with Heather, Langenkamp's character, you know, coming back. You know, so now we have Nancy being this, you know, psychiatrist or trauma counselor or something for the other characters, and that worked really well. And so it seems like it was trying to replicate that same idea in Scream 3. And, and I know also, like, behind the, behind the scenes, some of this boiled down to, you know, our, our actress for Sydney, Nev Campbell, was, you know, had some scheduling conflicts or things like that, so she wasn't able to be on the set the whole time. And so that's part of why they had her away for the whole time. I'm sure that, like, maybe it would have had a different shape. But I don't know. It just... Really? She's answering phones all day, every single day? I I wouldn't answer the phone for myself ever again in my life after that. Yeah. Like, screw that. Uh, I think another big issue for me of Scream 3 is the motivation of the killer. Yep. This is where the plot really kind of goes out of control. We have this kind of movie director who all of a sudden we find out is Sidney Prescott's 
long lost like half brother from Hollywood because her mom was a star and she didn't want to have him and now he's out to get revenge and it was him behind the scenes of the events of the first movie like there's just a lot to unpack yeah it's it's crazy yeah it it was too much he was a weak character he wasn't that interesting that whole idea was extremely contrived i will say and and this is the thing that we were kind of alluding to with scream 2 relative to the idea of sexism it is very interesting this plot relative to the fact that this film came out in 2000 which is many years before me too but it very very clearly indicates like how widely it's known hey a lot of you know people that are powerful in hollywood are basically you know taking advantage of slash just straight up raping a lot of you know actresses that are desperate to get jobs so i think you know I guess from a from a social artifact kind of point, like this is kind of an interesting thing to, that we can point to and say, like, hey, this problem, you know, has been known about very widely for a very long time. It just no one was doing anything about it until a lot of women got angry and started demanding that something did get changed. And so, like, that's an interesting thing to look at. And I think, you know, if nothing else, Scream 3 is an interesting artifact, considering that, you know, from a, a like, historical, sociological kind of standpoint. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how, I, how to feel about it, and I don't feel like, feel like it was necessarily great for uh, this plot. In fact, I thought it was kind of, frankly, terrible. But it is interesting. Yeah, I think it's one of the cases where there, things can be two things, right? Like, it can be an artifact of the times and show us that this stuff was present in this time period but unless it says something about that that hey this is bad this is wrong at its core it can still be a sexist movie it could be an artifact of the times and not address the problem and and i think you know it, it is acknowledging this is a problem but it did, definitely wasn't really offering any good solutions does it? I don't think it acknowledges that it's a problem. I mean, the, the killer, of course, is a product of this kind of broken home, mm -hmm. but there's no call-out of these executives or these producers sleeping with the women. No, uh, no, no. They, they, they come after the the big producer, you know, and, and go like, oh, like, this happened, and, and like, you just didn't care. But it didn't do it nearly as strongly as, as I wanted. It it was there. It, it it's it's in it. It's just it was kind of a throwaway little bit as opposed to, hey, like this is deeply upsetting and also like maybe that should be what we're attacking way more than attacking Sydney. <laughs> it's just that it, it gets so muddled with everything else that's going on that even though that is present, it's it becomes almost an afterthought. But yeah, I like I I agree. They they need they needed to be that. I don't know. Just this isn't the film to to tackle that. Is really what it boils down to. Yeah, I agree. If they're if that's going to be some sort of a plot, then it needs to kind of be at the forefront. To me, it came off of it came off as hey, this is happening. All these people are doing it, and that's not good. Mm -hmm. And then we move on. Uh, there was no acknowledgement that it needed action because 
there's this killer on the loose, right? Like, yes. as you say, I agree with you. This is not the medium to talk about, you know, equal rights feminism. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, I, I am going to also acknowledge, yeah, like, there is, I think, a, a big failure in the film, too, in that it does make some jokes about it in, in a way that was honestly tasteless and kind of awful. Uh, with with Carrie Fisher's character going, oh well, you know, I'm not the one that slept with George Lucas, so yeah, like, uh, yeah, like, like yeah, yeah, that was honestly just like it. It wasn't funny. It wasn't like I don't know. It, it was turning it into a joke, which that's not helpful for an issue that uh, intense. Um. So yeah, no, I, I I'm gonna backpedal. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, let's rate this one because let's. I just want to move along. So, screams-wise, two. Yeah, I gave it a two as well. There's some fun minor peril, but <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Um, crowns, I'm going to give it a five and a half. I would still, you know, say, like, you know, it's it's on the better side of, of you know... Again, it's a movie that I, I'm re- willing to rewatch whenever, even though it is by far the least good in the series. Yeah, I gave it a four. It just... I don't know. I, I did not feel the love with this movie really at all. It was... I got bored. I wanted to make fun of it more than actually watch it, and that usually only happens when we watch terrible movies that uh, we have roasted before. So Yeah, I I get it. I like it more than you, but I mean, I get <laughs> That's it. That's fine. That's fine. Alright, shall we move on to... Scream 4. Here is my Whisperer Massacre anniversary question. What is your favorite scary movie? What's your favorite scary movie? One generation's tragedy is the next one's joke. What is your favorite scary movie, man? I'll show you. This week marks the anniversary of the infamous Woodsboro murders. Local celebrity victim, Sydney Prescott, chose to return to her hometown. Welcome home, Sydney. So I guess right off the bat, as with any other screen movie, it does a good job of of the meta uh, in this time. You know, in this case, kind of looking at reboots and and how how it it can be a struggle to breathe life into a franchise that you know is effectively done. Yeah, Scream Four is a fun again kind of meta analysis on horror genre and franchised movies as well, where it it's a remake, but it also feels like a sequel. Uh, it's kind of this weird hodgepodge of a movie that, for me, really worked. I really liked Scream 4. Oh, yeah, yeah. Scream 4 is almost tied with 2 for me. Like, they're both really fun movies. I love them both a lot. Yeah, it's this really cool idea where we are now kind of entering into the age of technology, and how does that look for the Scream killers? What are they going to do to adapt to their new quote-unquote audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cast is pretty fun as well. We've got some kind of early stars, such as uh, Emma Roberts, who I really enjoy. Uh, she's kind of the titular villain of this one. Uh, and also, you know, we have, yeah, like a, a pretty studded cast in, in a lot of ways. You know, uh, Lucy Hale. Um, we have uh, even, you know, Kristen Bell and Anna Pank- or Paquin at, at the beginning. Uh, we have Alison Brie, we have Hayden Panettiere, we have you know, lots of like really fun actresses, um, you know, kind of studying the cast, and 
I'd say I really love the cold opening of this one. It's like ridiculous, but it's really fun. <laughs> it's so great. Do you want to give just a quick little synopsis here? We see, you know, kind of your conventional horror or specifically a scream kind of cold open with someone, you know, getting killed. And then it kind of like zooms out and then we see uh, Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin's characters, you know, watching it and going like, like, this is so ridiculous. Like, you know, just just kind of like making fun of it. And then Kristen Bell's character kind of gets pissed off and then stabs uh, Anna Paquin's character. And then it's suddenly, you know, goes out another layer and then it's, you know, we see that that was stab seven or something. And then, and then we, you know, finally get into the actual movie. And so it's, you know, we, we get to see what the stab movies have turned into with these layered, uh, ridiculous meta, you know, commentaries on, on the genre that, you know, much like the, the Scream series has, has become, but like to a point that it's become a ridiculous parody of itself, which is a delight to see that like they're, they're acknowledging like, hey, that could happen with our own series. Uh, yeah, it, I don't know how to describe Scream 4. Uh, when I rewatched it and was explaining it to my boyfriend, it was tricky for me back then as well, because it, it feels like Scream 1, but it's not. It's mm-hmm. very different. It almost feels a little more meta to some extent, and maybe that's just because it is talking about the technology age, and so a lot of the stuff, you know, is what we grew up with, the handheld recorders, the webcams these early computers that people really didn't know, you know, the potential that this stuff had. And and this movie, I don't know. I really like that. Maybe it's just the nostalgia bomb. Yeah. I mean, I I think definitely, you know, our generation, you know, particularly, you know, us as, you know, almost being 32, like this movie dropped in 2011. You know, that was us when we were in early college you know, we were, I don't know, we were just like the right age for this one, you know, when it came out. So, you know, I I think definitely, you know, we were able to appreciate a lot of the things that it was doing with the technology and stuff like that, that maybe uh, some other audiences might not have appreciated as much. And maybe that, like, that's why this film didn't do as well, particularly commercially, which I think is a shame because I think it's one of the best ones in the series. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think... The grit is back in Scream 4 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of moments that are really pretty spooky, especially towards the end with Emma Roberts. She's in the hospital and she's trying to stab Sydney with this like giant shard of glass, and that always just kind of gets to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also, it's gritty, it's gory, but again, it kind of goes back to the roots of Scream 1 and brings in this tongue-in-cheek dialogue. These one-liners that feel very almost Evil Dead where they just kind of poke characters in a very silly way, but is still scary. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would say, like, this is definitely, you know, a return to form back from Scream 3. Uh, it's also fun to see, you know, again, the characters have continued to develop. Um, you know, we see Sydney, who has kind of, like, reclaimed her identity and not let, you know, the past totally just dominate everything that she is. But, you know, that, that she's able to kind of, you know, she's written a book about it and she's trying to be, you know, a, a productive, fully realized woman. And, and that, that, you know, here we see her, uh, you know, as, as confident and competent and very proactive. Uh, we see Dewey as the sheriff and we get to see that he's now married to Gail, which is kind of a fun dynamic. It's, it's just fun to see that these characters have, have grown up in really fun ways. 
And going back to Scream 2, they have learned from the mistakes of the past. They have evolved fully, I think. Mm -hmm. um, they are young adults. They're trying to figure out life. It's very relatable for a lot of people who grew up watching this franchise. I, I also liked a lot of the new characters. Like, not every single one was great, but the most like the majority i i quite enjoyed i i definitely agree like i i know like when, when this new film dropped um you know there was like a little teeny reference to one of the characters who we thought died in this one kirby uh played by hayden panettiere <laughs> yeah but like apparently she survived and so like people are like oh sweet like hey like is she gonna come back in number six which by the way just got announced but you know like i i like these characters and i i i felt like they were Definitely stronger and funner than um, you know, even a lot of the characters that I would say that, that we get in, in most of the other sequels. They, they, were, they were good. They were fun to, to engage with. Yeah, and I, again, I want to go back to the story that I really liked Emma Roberts' motivation here. She's the niece of Sidney Prescott. She's grown up in kind of the shadow of Sidney, which caused her a lot of turmoil and a lot of jealousy at the end of the day. So her motivation here is to kill Sydney and kind of recreate the events of the first Scream. But she is now the main character. It, it goes back to that meta-ness of Scream, of our villain wants to be the hero, and she's going to set it up to try and get that accomplished. Which is just clever. It's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And it's unique and original. Yeah, yeah. It definitely works better than pretty much any of the other sequels in terms of the villain's motivations um definitely you know a strong point uh for, for this one were there things that you didn't like uh as much about this one uh, yeah we talked about some of the characters being a lot of fun but there were some that were just obnoxious there's the like shaky camera guy yeah oh my gosh that kid having that camera attached to his face and being like this is the future this is how everyone's going to be living their high school experience Ugh, oh my yes. god it was yeah he was too much uh there's also that at the moment where you know as a queer individual we're still in the early uh 2010s where like being gay was kind of a joke yeah uh and they use this of you know, this camera guy, this obnoxious camera guy is about to die. And he, you know, instead of the virgin being killed, not being killed, it's now the gay person isn't being killed. But he is not gay. It's clear that he's not gay. And so it, it comes off as this is his last card to play before he dies. And it just, it's, it doesn't sit well for some people. Yeah. It was definitely kind of dipping back into the, the meta humor well, but in, in a way that really just felt tacky. Again, the Scream franchise is stellar, but it still is rooted in its time, and I'm glad we're moving out of that. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of kind of the early Office, early Big Bang Theory, where... Being gay is a punchline? Uh, yeah, it was just kind of barely beeping its head into kind of modern social zeitgeist and pop culture and instead of it being like accepted it was accepted with this like pointed tongue that yeah you can have a gay character in our show but they're going to be a joke yep and, and i'm just i'm glad we're we've moved past that mostly <laughs> you know you look at shows like good place uh or hell even this new netflix chainsaw massacre just being queer isn't a plot point anymore 
and that is refreshing. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's talk about screams. Okay, um, so my screams for Scream Four, I would give it a four. Like it, you know, is is back to about Scream Two levels of of, of creepy. Yeah, I gave it a five. I, I I really appreciated the grit back. I think I rated this one a little bit higher just because I had watched three the day before, mm-hmm. and so in some regard, I was very happy and refreshed to see that the horror was back. Uh, so I I probably was a little bit more affected by the grit and the gore. Crowns wise, I gave it a seven. Yeah, I would say like it's really pretty much tied with two for me in a lot of ways. Yeah, I gave it a seven as well. It's not the original. Uh, it's not this Scream Five that we got even. Uh, but it is solid. I think it's my second favorite of the entire series. So over five. Uh, uh I can't remember what I gave in our last. <laughs> I don't know. I really liked Scream 4. I'm going to have to go back and listen to our last episode to see where I rated them all. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how it, it compares. Like, for me, it's, I guess, technically my, my fourth out of five, but it's, like, like I don't know. I really freaking love this movie still. It's it's a delight. So, I don't know. I, I, I have nothing but good to say about it for, you know, 99% of the time. Well, how have you been staying spooky lately? I've been watching a lot of horror media lately, and the two I want to talk about first and foremost would be, I found this YouTube channel called Chilling Scares, and I have probably watched all of the videos that they have to offer, and they are all about like authentic, real-life, ring camera uh, scary moments, or dash cam scary moments, or, uh, you know, like, the Amazon Echo camera scary moments. These... Mm-hmm. These technology devices that have opened up our eyes to the craziness that happens in the world. And this stuff is batshit spooky, Nathaniel. There are some crazy videos out there. One in particular of this lady is outside her house and she hears screaming and then this car drives by her front yard. And there is a girl like getting kidnapped. You hear her screaming and asking for help as the car drives away. And it was all caught on a ring camera. Hmm. Ah, it's gross. Check it out. I it, it got me really bad. The other day, someone knocked on my door and I was working in my room. And I got up to go get it. And then all of these flashbacks happened of this YouTube channel. And I was like, nope, I don't know who's out there. I'm not answering the door. Uh, I broke down and bought my own ring camera and am now looking for aliens on a daily basis. That sounds about right. But outside of that, um, me and Mark went to go see The Cursed in movie theaters last night. It's this new kind of period piece about the 18th century, this little French town and supernatural events that happen. Uh, Because it's in movie theaters, I don't want to just give it away for everybody. Uh, but all I will say is I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, it's not hereditary. It's not any sort of art horror kind of masterpiece. But it's not a Bloom House dumpster fire. It's a solid, good, scary movie that has some really cool creatures in it. And to be uh, clear, sometimes Bloom House has, del- has delightful horror movies. But, you know, we're still bitter about Halloween kills. <laughs> No, that that sounds great. Uh, I remember we saw the trailer for that while we were seeing Scream together, uh, and yes. so I, I've been curious about it, so I'm glad to hear that it's pretty decent. It's definitely not a perfect movie, and after we had finished watching it, talking about it with friends, it kind of 
dawned on me that okay maybe this movie isn't as good as i was exciting like excited about Mm -hmm. uh but that doesn't mean it's not a good scary movie it just didn't deliver like others before i share how i've been saying spooky i just looked at what you rated uh scream 5 and you gave it a seven and a half so it technically uh edges out four for you unless you want to you know reevaluate um let me pray about it okay so i have uh been staying spooky lately um i mean i've been reading lots of stuff i've been watching lots of stuff it has been a little bit of a gap since our last episode so you know needless to say i've i've, I've consumed lots of content but uh one that was particularly interesting to me was a book that uh is just about to come out uh called kagan the damned that's k-a-g-e-n maybe it's cajun i don't know i i just I actually have a friend with that name. It is pronounced as a Kagan. Kagan. Okay. Well, so Kagan the Damned. Uh, this is a fantasy novel by Jonathan Mayberry, um, who I believe I've ranted about how amazing uh, some of his stuff is, particularly his Pine Deep trilogy of horror novels. But this one is like high kind of epic grim dark fantasy. But why I'm bringing it up with staying spooky is what it uses as the um, kind of pantheon of gods is the the gods of of Lovecraft and Mackin, where we have mm-hmm. you know these you know things like you know Cthulhu and Haster, you know and, and and you know all of these different kind of gods are are kind of what make up a lot of the you know pantheon of gods in this world, and so. It's basically Lovecraftian horror, but it's a grim, dark fantasy story about revenge. It's yeah, it's it's dropping soon. I got my hands on uh, an advanced reader copy, so yeah, I, I had to check it out because Jonathan Mayberry. But uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I I like. I would say you know I I'd probably give it like six out of ten in terms of like ultimately like the story did get a little bogged down at times and and you know it it has a little bit of deus ex machina kind of near the end but as a whole though like just the idea of really really leaning into the lovecraft mythology with a a high fantasy story yeah i'm there (laughs) yeah that's cool love that I think that pretty much is everything we were going to talk about. I believe so. So if you are still listening, thank you once again. Uh, we do have some cool special guests lined up for the show. Uh, one of our good friends, uh, Charlie Conlin from the Know Your Nightmares podcast, wants to come back to talk about some of his sleep paralysis moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, very excited to talk to him. Great guy. Uh, love him. Also, I have a... a old co-worker who grew up in a sweet little Mexican pueblito and she has a bunch of authentic Mexican kind of pueblito horror stories to talk to us about. I'm very uh, excited about that. So we're excited. We've got, we do have some good stuff. Uh, thank you for your patience as we live our lives. Yeah, <laughs> and, and not just those two guests. We also have two others. Kat from the TGIF Horror Podcast. Uh, and also uh, maybe a returning guest, uh, Rachel Smith, who has talked da, to us da, da, about da. Uh, lots of spooky stuff before. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I imagine you've probably listened to 
one or both of her episodes, I would say she's driven more traffic to our podcast than anyone else. <laughs> Us included. Yeah. By by many orders of magnitude. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're excited to to tease all of those uh episodes. They should be, you know, slowly filling up your your podcast feed over the next couple of months. Alright, and in the meantime, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to Patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.